Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, you. How are you today? You doing well? Holidays around the corner? Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here, giving me your ear, your time, your attention. I value that. Uh, Christmas is just around the corner if you're listening to this a few days away. And uh, just grateful that you're you're spending the time with me. Um, let's celebrate the idea of friends, family, connection, brotherhood, sisterhood, planet Earth, enough of this segregation, you know, whose holiday is better, whose Santa Claus is better, whose God is better. It is all one thing. Let us remove the illusions of separation and old dogmatic views and move towards the truth and unity and love and compassion. And that's, uh, I don't know, that's just what I'm thinking. I just want to thank you guys who've been spending the time and effort to leave a review. Uh, You basically just uh, go to iTunes um, and leave a review um, within iTunes. It's a bit of a pain in the butt. So those of you who are doing it, I really appreciate the effort. So this one is from Ronka Nation. And it says, um, where is it here? I had it all pulled up and now it's there. It, is. it says, uh, a daily must listen, go. The Matt Belair podcast is a must listen for anyone looking for answers to life's most deep and metaphysical questions. Matt is a great host and he always asks the same question I would want to ask while keeping it fun and light. Bonus. Matt is also hilarious himself and full of wisdom from his own lifelong pursuit of mastering his mind, body, and soul. The guests on this podcast are literally all A-plus guests you know, and if you haven't heard of them yet, you need to know their names now. I highly recommend listening to Matt's podcast, and I promise you will come away a better person each time. Well, thank you so much, Ronkin Nation. I really appreciate that review. And if you leave me a review, I might read it on the air. And uh, that's kind of exciting, I guess. Um, but it really helps to spread the word and the message and the energy of the podcast that I can say I intentionally put together to spread more love, peace, wisdom, knowledge, and find the guests that have that to share with you guys. So this episode is epic. This is with the man that I went to Egypt with. Well, one of, one of the incredible crew. His name's Hugh Newman. He is the uh, founder of Megalithomania. He does. He's an author. He's written books. He does tours to sacred sites around the world. He has a YouTube channel, a big following, multiple websites. Uh, he's been on, I think, Gaia TV and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, the BBC, Sky TV. Uh, oh yeah, featured in Ancient Aliens. Like he was the man and uh, hilarious. Like when when uh, I just met him in uh, Egypt with with the Resonant Science Foundation, he was just. Oh, man, I think he's like Scottish, English. Oh, man, I don't know. Sorry, Hugh. Um, but he's like, he's just like, uh, I guess I'm Canadian. It's hard to uh, decipher, but just such a pleasant smile, just such an open, I don't know, just a funny guy that I just wanted to sit and have a beer with. But then if you listen to him, you're going to get your mind blown. This guy goes to the spaces and that's how I kind of know he knows because he's always putting himself in the environments and learning and researching and getting into it. So 
um, I'm going to have him back on the show because we we didn't get to dive too deep, but we talk about proof of giants, mounds around the world, best evidence for skeptics that giants exist, and you know have your have a fun time arguing with Hugh. He's gone to the Smithsonian. He's looked at these journals. I learned a lot just from this episode. He talks about. Uh, the historical, academic, and biblical references to giants, why the information has been covered up, why we don't know that they exist, uh, what are sacred sites. He kind of defines them because he's been to thousands around the world, or he's been to, I don't know, thousands. There are, he says, hundreds of thousands potentially around the world. Um, the oldest site on the planet, Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, which I had seen before, but I didn't know what it was called um, when he was saying it. I was like, well, that's a weird word. So I learned a ton in this episode. You're going to uh, enjoy it. I'm going to have your mind blown. If you want the rabbit hole of Hugh, enjoy that because that's something else. Uh, he has really deep knowledge. And so, yeah, I think you're going to like this one. Want to send you tons of love for the holidays. I know people can get stressed out about the gifts and all the shenanigans. And just remember, that's all, it's it's kind of illusionary. You know, your, your center points, your heart, your feelings, uh, your inner knowing. So start to cut through the baloney into the truth of self, into nature, into source, into what's actually going on and what is important about these holidays. What is important about life? Uh, if you want to support the show, leaving a review, sharing this episode on Facebook or anywhere and uh, checking out Matt Belair forward uh, slash store. And uh, I got all kinds of cool stuff on there. So my Zen Athlete book, the Resonant Science Foundation, which has got um, an Explorer's Lounge for free with epic information. And now they do a membership, 21 bucks a month with a fantastic community and such great insights. And it's not just physics, it's the world and, and it's how we navigate a reality and it's a supportive community. I uh, can't say enough good things about them. You've got... Um, Sync Tuition, which is 3D binaural beat gamma wave entrainment that I enjoy listening to asleep, or if I don't feel like meditating, I throw that on. So it's like a cheat, but it, it puts my brain waves in the uh, in the state that they need to process information, to entrain my brain into gamma wave states, and to allow me to think clearly, to do all kinds of magic. So highly recommend them, and they have three free tracks. So there's discounts of everything you know on there as well, you know, with all the associations and partnerships I have. Uh, so check that out for some cool stuff, including Zen Athlete, epic book. I wrote it. It's awesome. It's a guide to self-mastery. You don't need to be an athlete. And if you have an athlete, definitely give them the book. They'll get better 100%. And I'm going to stop rambling and get into the meditation and tension with you guys because as a group, as we do this, as a, as a person, as we do this, the more we come into harmony, the more we entrain ourselves and change our own reality and become sovereign, aligned, awakened beings, which is the most important thing. All you can do is save yourself. If the whole entire planet is drowning, the first thing you got to do is learn how to swim yourself. And that's what we're doing. We're coming to alignment and peace. We're letting go of the illusion and we're coming more into the truth, peace, harmony, connection, collaboration, wholeness. So all we need to do to do this, wherever you are at the gym and public at work, who gives a crap? You're, you're going to do whatever you want because you own your reality. And you're going to take this moment just to take in a deep breath in through your nose. And as you breathe in, just imagine gold and white platinum light filling your lungs and your cells and every muscle and every fiber of your being. And then just hold that breath a little bit and just let it out slowly, calming yourself, letting go of all the cares, all the worries, all the stresses of the day. And then taking another deep breath in through your nose. And as you do, just imagine a powerful white, golden, platinum light coming down from the universe, 
pulsing every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being and also activating your energy body, your spiritual body, your magnetism, everything you are connecting you to your heart. And as it connects you to your heart, also see the energy from the earth coming up through your feet and meeting in the middle in your heart and mixing source energy and earth energy and you are a part of all of it, alchemizing it as this humid on the planet. And as you sit in this energy and just relax more and more, just feel how powerful you are. Feel this connection to earth and all living things, the waters, the oceans, the waterfalls, the rivers, the plants, the trees. Connect yourself now to the sun and the galaxy and source and infinite intelligence, infinite nature, knowing that you are all of these things. And now as you sit with this energy, I just want you to imagine what your reality would look like if you were free from all concern. You woke up with a hundred million dollars every day for the rest of your life. Money was no problem. You could travel the world freely. You could just do what you want. What would you learn? Who would you be around? How would you express yourself? What is the highest vision for your life that you can see physically, emotionally, business-wise? What would you offer? What would you learn? What would you teach? What would you explore on the planet? Where would you go? Who would you be with? How would you serve the planet? How would you help others? Just see yourself as this infinite being. Just imagine right now as a genie, I give you everything you could ever imagine, infinite wishes. And just explore this like a virtual reality game right now in your mind. It's just a video game. Just explore what you do. Some of the things that pop up. Maybe it's vacations, going to sacred sites, uh, helping people, who knows, learning, mastering a skill. And just enjoy this and just now feel the energy of what that would be like, exploring the planet freely. Feel the energy of all the things that you do and connect to that energy. And now I'd like you to connect to that energy even more and let that energy magnify and double and triple its intensity and connect with that energy. And now as you connect with that energy, you know that this can become a reality and just connect with that possibility. And as you do, I'm sending you all of my love and support and enthusiasm and support just to create this reality. And then source energy comes down and meets that energy and supports it as well. And now see the energy of the earth coming up to support that energy as well and just see it magnify from the earth, the source, me and all beings, knowing that you have the full sovereign right to create whatever reality you want. And as you connect with this reality, just for a moment, allow yourself to suspend disbelief and know that it is a possibility. And now what I want you to do is send this energy out to your friends and family and just have them wish for their ideal life, just supporting them, supporting that they can imagine and create the ideal life of their dreams just send them support and energy and your best wishes and send this healing and this peace and this love and balance to everyone you've ever met to the entire planet just see this love and connection immerse the entire planet and go out to the solar system and galaxy and multiple dimensions and everywhere just pulsing from the center of your heart and as you connect with this energy just sit and allow it to pulse and vibrate through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being for as long as you'd like. And so there you go. So now let's get into this incredible episode now that we're all charged up with the man, Hugh Newman.
Hello and welcome to another episode of the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I am your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a world explorer, megalithomaniac, and author of Earth Grids, The uh, the Secret Pattern of Gaia's Sacred Sites, co-author of Giants on Record, America's Hidden History, Secrets in the Mounds, and the Smithsonian Files with Jim Vieira. Stone Circles and is published in three Ancient Origins ebooks. He has been a regular guest on History Channel's Ancient Aliens and Search for the Lost Giants and has been on the BBC, Sky TV, and is currently involved in several documentary projects. He is a video producer who publishes regular films of his worldwide explorations at youtube.com slash megalithomania UK. As well as organizing the annual Megalithomania conferences and tours, he co-organizes the Origins Conference in London with Andrew Collins and has spoken at events in the UK, Malta, France, Peru, Egypt, Bosnia, Cambodia, Java, and North America. He currently lives in Wilshire, England. Welcome to the show, the man, Hugh Newman. What's up, brother? Yeah, all, all good, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing amazing, man. It's good to see you again. Yeah, yeah. It's last time was in rather sunnier climbs in Egypt, wasn't it? Amazing place. Yeah, yeah. So we we got first connected um, with the Resonance Academy in Egypt. Uh, I had the privilege to explore the um, the pyramids with you, but also to get introduced to your work. You did about an hour presentation, and it felt that maybe just a week to yourself, we would start to graze the surface of the incredible work that you're you're doing and you have done. Um, do you want to just give us a little bit of a background on on how you got to where you are today and then we'll dive into you know whatever interests you most because it's it's a really deep field of study that you're in. Yeah sure I mean the main the main stuff really is uh, the ancient megalithic sites and the sort of mysteries that surround them. Um, but more recently, in the last you know five or seven years, I've been getting into studying quite strange phenomena. Uh, the um, the whole, whole story of the giant skeletons that keep being discovered all over the world, specifically in North America. But I'm just really into like, earth mysteries, and ancient sites. And I've been really researching that for the last you know decade or two, um, quite thoroughly. And uh, all off my own back, you know, I work with various people, but you know, we're independent. We're not sponsored. We don't have like any you know, universities or anything behind us, we do it all ourselves. Yeah, and I'm and, uh, and organize events and tours, you know, to many of these ancient places. And uh, obviously, Egypt being one of them where we were hanging out on uh, the Resonance, um, Resonance Academy delegates program, which was remarkable, amazing, amazing trip. Um, and yet, yeah, Peru, Britain, and many other places around the world is where we, where we t- take groups uh, to do these tours. Incredible, man. And so, how many how many sacred sites have you been to so far? God, I don't, I haven't really counted, but uh, probably hundreds. You know, maybe in the thousands, I, I would imagine. Um, I do get around. I mean, we, we move. You know, in one day you can visit several sites if you move quick enough. You get up early enough. But it really depends where you are because you know, in Egypt, like you know, the Giza Plateau has multiple sites within its kind of um, within its area. Um, and like you know, you can nip around many different sites in one go in England, going from one megalith to a stone circle, 
to a mound somewhere else. So, but yeah, I mean, the world is megalithic. It's a megalithic world out there. And we really need to kind of, you know, encourage people to check out these sites. I and mean, even in North America, people don't realize that there's over a hundred thousand recorded um, mound and earthwork sites, which is where many of these giants were discovered, mainly in the Midwest and the Ohio Valley um, and places like this. And so, you know, even in places you don't expect to find them, there's sites everywhere. Uh, and I just encourage people to get out and get a feel for them, get out on the land and uh, investigate your local records because there's always some mystery, some magic associated with them. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, so have you been to a site where you actually found some of the remains of the the giants? And, and man, I have so many questions. So let's just start with that one and then I'll just try to ask them strategically. Sure thing. I mean, yeah, well, we haven't, I mean, nowadays all the bones of the giants have disappeared. But if they were in England, they probably disappeared five or 600 years ago. In North America, they've been gone for the last 200 years, probably since the first uh, settlers were moving over there and digging into the mounds. Um, and, and so there's not much left really. I mean, the, the most recent, giant discoveries are really like 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago in uh, North America. Um, there's reports of others around the world, like in Russia and Iraq and other places more recently, but the evidence is really tight on it. It's really hard to kind of get access to anything, especially in North America, because technically it's completely illegal uh, with the NAGPRA law, Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, which came in in 1990. And before that, the Smithsonian Institution were disappearing many of the bones, the skeletons, the skulls. And actually, that's one of the big issues we have uh, in this, what we call giantology uh, research, uh, where you just can't get access to what we want to. But the accounts are so abundant. There's at least 1,500 accounts of giants just in North America that myself, Jim Vieira, Mikey Ewers, Ross Hamilton, and others have collated over the last few years. Uh, many of them are reported by academics and archeologists, even doctors and surgeons who were kind of digging the, the foundations for their houses and things like this. And literally every part of North America has reports of these going from Channel Islands off the coast of California, all the way up to Maine um, in the Northeast and New England. Um, and so, you know, right down to Florida, everywhere else in between. Uh, and so you have to really take this seriously. It's a serious aspect of our history, a serious part of history which has been completely eradicated from the historical record. Um, and the, the, that is what gave us the real kind of passion for like researching this, because not only were these uh, the skeletons between seven foot to sort of 12 to 14 feet tall discovered in ancient sites, i.e. mounds and earthworks, sometimes in megalithic sites in New England, but also uh, the fact that it's been so well and deliberately covered up and brushed under the carpet in such a meticulous manner, uh, you could see it as a conspiracy. And so, yeah, this it makes you want to research things when you can, you find evidence of a cover-up. Yeah, fascinating. Well, I've in my research, I've seen you know giant skulls come up um, in ancient texts. It always talks about giants. Um, you know, even in the Bible, we'll talk about giants. And then if you look at some of the work of, you know, um, Gerald Clark and many others, it will talk about giants of the time um, from your research. So if we set because I think that there's two types of viewers. One is, you know, they don't 
you know, that's going to be a big thought for them, right? Giants, come on, like get real. But, you know, what have we discovered and what do we really know about our history? So the second type is, you know, really wanting to get into this. And, um, you know, is really curious about um, how deep this might go. So from you researching and going around and, and, and taking a look at the giant phenomenon, what have you found so far? And what are your theories on who they could have been and how many, maybe how many more there could be or why they'd be covering them up or anything relevant? What's, what's relevant to know if they existed and, and from what you've looked at? Well, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, the, uh, in the Bible, you get it. I mean, so a lot of people are into you know, Christianity and religion, that kind of thing. Um, th- th- there's, a, there's a kind of intrigue there because there's this whole story of the so-called Nephilim who were the, like um, born of human women and these sort of kind of almost like light beings called the Watchers or, you know, there's even connections with the Anunnaki and all this kind of stuff. And these are written, matter of fact, uh, accounts of witnessing these giants in the Bible. And so you have the even the story of Moses during Exodus when he went up to the like the promised land heading north into the, the, the classic Bible lands up into, you know, even as far as Lebanon, you have uh, him witnessing and talking about these giant beings that they had to do battle with and actually destroy them. And so that's a real question mark. I mean, they're just making this up. Is it allegorical? Is there something else going on here? But actually, there's been giant bones and skeletons discovered in that area which back this up. And then some researchers believe that they may have even eventually made their way over via Europe to North America and instigated this whole giant kind of um, story which which were all, you know, building the mounds and so forth. Um, but, you know, the problem is this, it's a, it's a reality. People have to accept this. It's, it's, it's absolute reality, that in, especially in North America. There's just too much evidence, too many reports, too many accounts, too many uh, academic people and doctors and surgeons and others witnessing these bones. And they even having them on display in their shops. There's photographs of them. And so... The fact is, you know, we really have to question what's going on here. Because um, if that is the case, there's a whole kind of part of our human timeline is being completely sort of just deleted, as, as I mentioned. So we have to question where they came from, what, what is the, you know, what's the purpose here of I'm trying to understand this. And really, to me, it's just trying to understand who we are as human beings. Uh, it's the, you know, permanent immortal quest to understand who we are and where we came from. If part of it's completely deleted from the historical timeline, we're never going to know. We're not going to have the full picture. So it's really important to, like, you know, look into this, whatever it may be, whether it's giants, whether it's these elongated skull people, whether it's extremely high-precision technology uh, stonework that we find in Egypt and other places like Peru. Um, what's going on here? You know, this, this has to be questioned. And the dating also needs to be questioned as well as to when this was done because... It puts a whole different perspective on what we're taught uh, in, in you know, history books in, in college and school and things like this. But, um, and there's more research coming out which is like proving that, number one, there were giants. There's, there's also this high evidence of elongated skull people all over the world, which is another whole story. My colleagues Brian Forrester and, and Scott Skinner have been researching. And you have extreme antiquity where they're finding modern humans which go back not hundreds of thousands of years, but often hundreds of millions of years being found in uh, in the earth. And so what, again, this is another, another part of the historical timeline, uh, which is being messed around with and not presented correctly. So I'm just interested in all these types of things. 
um, because uh, clearly we're not being given all the information, we're not being told the full truth. And, it, and it's up to us, it's up to individuals to go out there and do their little piece to try and uh, build a picture of what was really going on. Yeah, yeah, man, 100%. And, you know, it's one thing to kind of see an idea on the internet or in a book or something. And then it's another thing to go and experience the place and really get into it yourself. And for me, that's what Egypt was. You know, I looked at some documentaries, but I still had some doubt, you know, around, you know, what they could have been. And when you're in the actual space and just seeing it for yourself and then just questioning what information you have on this and you try to find reliable information for um, uh, a, a pyramid that makes no sense how they built it, for example, or you know, the megaliths that you've been in countless, you know, places in the world and looking where they're built, how they're built, you know, the technology that would have been necessary or the engineering. And you scratch your head because we don't really have, um, you know, academia sharing. This is where it came from, you know, so you, you have a lot of independent research and it can be a little bit unbelievable. Um, so for for somebody you know as far as the giants go is that the is that one of your main focus like your main curiosity or is it the sacred sites well it's really the ancient sites is what um i, I always fall back on that's what that's what my real passion is and it gives me an excuse to go and travel the world any opportunity as well which is a good thing but intrinsically linked with this are these giant skeletons and that's really just come to my attention in the last what five, seven years, something like this, not too long ago. But it's it's one of these things, it's almost like a spell was placed over it, this information, and now it's being broken, and now the information's now coming out. I think there's a reason for that, because in different aspects, like I said, of you know, uh, our history, we need to know what's really going on. And so the good thing is, like, where there's megalithic sites, where there's ancient sites, there's often stories of giants, there's often bones that have been discovered, often inside the sites, Often not, often the sites is nothing, you don't know, anything with giants, but even in Egypt, I just wrote this quite, um, this two-part article on ancient-origins.net ancient website uh, about the giants of ancient Egypt, and there's a whole load of stuff uh, that's been discovered there, which no one really knows about. I mean, uh, I think I posted it in the um, resonance uh, uh, group from Egypt, people have a read of it. Um, but everywhere you go, you find this kind of evidence if you know where to look and you look carefully enough. And often you have to go into the old records, you have to go into the old archaeological digs, uh, accounts and journals, handwritten sometimes, and get on microfilm and libraries and things like this. It's not all on the internet, so you kind of got to do your homework. But I kind of enjoy that. It's still like part of the quest for trying to work out the truth. Um, uh, but with, you know, with, with the, the giants and the sacred sites, they're... They're pretty much everywhere. There's, there's traditions and folklore of giants so strongly in so many parts of the world. And it really isn't just fairy tales now. And so, you know, I'm not kind of, you know, just, just into giants because they're giants or they're part of the Bible, nothing like that. It's just a part of the bigger picture that needs to be revealed. And I feel like um, it's something that just kind of um, propelled me, it still does. Amazing. So one of the questions I want to ask was, uh, do you have like one or two pieces of evidence for giants that even a skeptic would really have trouble, you know, disproving? But the second thing that I think is even more important that you touched on is you're mapping this all together. You know, for me and in my independent research, 
I just want to know what the heck is going on on the planet. And, you know, what I've discovered in this research is it's definitely not in school. It's definitely not common knowledge. It's definitely puts you on the outside of things. And I would be an absolute novice compared to you doing your research and your homework. But when you get out there and you do it and you go to the spaces and you and you find the research and you start connecting the dots, well, one story starts to shape and make sense. And that seems to be a hidden story. Um, so for you, you know, you could answer the first question about the evidence, but then maybe get into, you know, what is the the big picture for you? Like, what what is it that we should be learning and know about? Because I I know EarthGrids, the talk that you did at the Resonance Science Foundation and the trip to Egypt was super fascinating, and you've done an immense amount of work there. And it's you know, one thing is adding up, and that is, you know, very very fascinating that all these sites are on specific ley lines, specific points. Um, and and do specific things. So maybe you can talk a little bit on that. Yeah. Well, if we jump back to the first part of the question, was a uh, good, good a couple of pieces of good evidence for like that challenge the skeptics. Uh, there's 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 quite a few actually, but the best ones are in the Smithsonian's own journals from the late 1800s, the fifth and the twelfth annual Smithsonian journal, the one the ones to get hold of. They're from like the 1880s and 90s. They're really the huge, thick books. They're massive. They cost hundreds of pounds to get on, dollars to get online. And, you know, eventually we got a couple of really battered old copies that were kind of falling apart. But you read through them. And this is remember, this was written by archaeologists at the time. It's written by academics and scholars, all the people involved in the Smithsonian. And there's multiple accounts of between seven and eight foot tall skeletons in their own academic reports that they've discovered themselves and so the fact so it's there it's like and, and you know that to me that's enough just to say look there's no way they're going to make the mistake and mismeasure a skeleton they find and so that to me is enough there's other accounts there's other academic uh, universities there's maryland uh, academy of sciences there's um, other ones there's yale who had giant skeletons in their possession they actually discovered on digs. I did a whole uh, like 30 minute lecture just about giant skeletons in the academic record, but again, for ancient origins, because that's kind of, you know, it had to be kind of addressed. We do a whole thing in the book about it as well. But when you've kind of got acad academia mentioning it in their own records, and then the same people try to cover it up afterwards, you know they're doomed uh, because it's already there and so that, to me that's enough and they uh, they they were also some on display that were photographed we feature those in the book other ones that we found in the microfilm photographs of people standing at skeletons and kind of things like this and so yeah so there's, there's good evidence and there's more and more evidence emerging um but the problem is it's kind of illegal to actually you know go and dig up any bones we actually know where some giant skeletons are buried we know exactly where they're buried but we're not allowed to go and dig them up. You literally be put in prison for it. So that's 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 one of the big problems there. Um, but yeah, I just think the context of this and uh, other subjects that I've been looking at is it's just you know as you said the lecture the lecture I did at the um, at the resident at the delegates um, uh, event in Egypt. Um, that's more about Earth grids. That's an earlier book I did back in two thousand and eight. And this research I'll be continuing, but it's looking at the spatial relationship between ancient sites around the planet and realizing that they understood 
to a very high degree uh, spherical sacred geometry. Um, now, not just around the whole planet. You can imagine the planet's like a sphere. It's pretty close to a sphere. But you look, you know, all the different platonic solids, and Archimedean solids, and you know, the combinations. This is something the Resonance uh, Science uh, Foundation are really into. So we can see this kind of stuff. Um, but and where the points of these different platonic solids touch the surface are really important in ancient sacred sites, more often than not. And also the lines that connect them up, so-called ley lines, and all the grids that kind of connect up in a more complicated manner. Are just you know, and they kind of they kind of manipulate uh, the earth energies as well. So there's a whole thing going on with that. And I believe that number one. Uh, they were harnessing this natural energy from the Earth using these different harmonic uh, frequencies that the Earth naturally produces. And I think the pyramids were partly designed for that in Egypt and to sort of suck up the energy and kind of share it around uh, to different areas. You may be using the obelisk and other ancient sites to sort of put it through the whole planet. Um, but also, I think that these giant humans, one of the reasons they may have got so big, this is completely speculative here, kind of put this idea out in the book is that the energy they were kind of creating at these ancient sites actually st stimulated growth uh, within certain elites who lived and lived and worked in these places and so you have that to consider as well but then you've got these giant people hanging around oh well actually you're the one who can lift the big heavy stones into place uh, so it kind of gives an explanation of how big stones got moved around and placed and things like this and if you dig in to the traditions in the bible uh, to the Old Testament, the Book of Enoch, and there's even a book of giants within the Book of Enoch that talks all about these these uh, beings. They're really into the high arts, like um, they're into mathematics, uh, agriculture, geometry. They're into um, metallurgy and like stone construction and uh, masonry. And these were the, and they loved building, and it was their thing. And so you've got a question, you know, when you find these traditions of giants all around the planet, they were actual giants and they were really into buildings. They're the ones that the local stone circle builders or the pyramid builders would employ to do the heavy lifting. And so it could be a clue as to how these stones may have uh, got moved. I'm not sure how, how they were carved. They were carving like 80 ton blocks of granite and uh, doing precision Precision polygonal stonework is a whole other story, but it could have been one of the skill sets of the giants. Right, yeah, and you were showing in your presentation those smaller sacred geometry stones that are all over the planet, right? What's the story with those? Well, they're these, um, they're like these stone spheres um, that were found mainly in uh, northern Scotland and Aberdeenshire, and um, I've actually got one. Hang on a sec. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a copy. Um, this, this is actually quite a bad copy. This is a, one of the worst ones there is, but it shows you've got just a rough shape here. You've got like this sort of, uh, this isn't the best one. This was found up in um, uh, the, uh, the Ness of Brodgar up in Orkney. Um, it's not the most precise one, but some of these are really precise and beautiful. But you see it's got six faces. It's got six faces all around it. Um, and other ones have different variations. Other ones have uh, lots. Of, they go up to about 60 faces in some of them. Uh, but there's combinations of the cube and the octahedron. So you get nesting within the different platonic solids. You've got the icos, you've got icosahedron, dodecahedrons. And so this was how these were being made about 3000 to 2500 BC. 
which is a couple of thousand years before Plato was even born. So you can't really call them the Platonic solids anymore uh, because they were much, much older and they were created in Scotland. So most of them were found in Aberdeenshire near these specific types of stone circles. And it proves that the ancient people had a high level understanding of uh, very sophisticated uh, spherical geometry, which, which no one should have been, apparently no one knew about that back then. Um, especially in Britain, but more research has been done up in Orkney, which is one of the islands that's the far, far tip of uh, northern Scotland. Um, and I went up there this summer actually to do some research uh, with, uh, uh, with a research friend and my lady friend, uh, JJ Ainsworth. And she and I couldn't believe what we saw up there, absolutely blew us away. Um, uh, because that look, it could be the origin point of all the megalithic sites in Britain, even potentially influence the whole world. And they were sharing this knowledge, working with these different geometries. And so uh, we know that the ancients were very sophisticated, not just in Britain, but you know, potentially all over the world. But, uh, one other thing, one of the strange things is that uh, when I went to, uh, there was a museum at Tiwanaku in Bolivia. I saw one of these there, couldn't believe it. So these are only supposed to be up in Scotland and a couple in England, a couple in Ireland. But there was one at Tiwanaku in Bolivia, and it really blew my mind. And it, I did a whole video and an article about this, uh, again, for Ancient Origins. And um, so it does suggest there could be connections, again, more clues to connections all around the world. Wow, man. That's that's really fascinating. Um, really interesting. What I was curious about is because there, when I went to Egypt, I didn't realize how many psych, sacred sites there are. I was just wondering if you give a quick definition of what a sacred site would be and how many are in your estimate that we've found so far. Oh my goodness, um, that's uh, a good question. I mean, there's different right, different interpretations <laughs> of what a sacred site means because you've got you know people think a church is a sacred site and a, a holy well is a sacred site, things like this. But if we're looking at you know I mean, this, I mean, ancient sites, just whether they're pyramids, they're stone circles, whether they're dolmens, whether they're mounds or earthworks, um, whether they're holy wells, there's literally millions around the planet. I mean, just in Britain alone, just for stone circles, for instance, there's over a thousand. I mean, I did a whole, I've done a whole little book about, um, about stone circles recently, and there's over a thousand recorded in Britain, and there's probably another 500 around the world. Uh, people don't realize that, you know, that, I mean, the pyramids is a whole other thing. So we've, we've got the classic pyramids of Egypt, uh, which I believe there's at least, what, um, 70 or so recorded in Egypt. There might be more, I might be mistaken there. Uh, but there's other pyramids around the world, like in Mexico, even in Peru. Um, there's even pyramid structures in Tenerife, Mauritius, um, and other places as well. And so... We have to kind of question what is that all about? Even in Greece as well, there's been a, a stone polygonal pyramid was, was discovered there. And so we have to question what's going on here. You know, there's so many of these sites and some of them are still buried. I mean, one of the finest examples of, of super ancient, ancient uh, sacred site is uh, Gebekli Tepe in Southeast Turkey, which was completely covered up. And it's a series of like stone enclosures, like stone circles, with two great T-pillars in the center and, and surrounding them. About, about 30 or 40 of them in total. Um, and so, you know, that's 12,000 years old, which is much older than most of the other sites, like in Egypt, in the Stone Circles of Britain. So, 
there's new discoveries being made which are pushing the dates back um and there's just so many of these sites around the world that it's hard to put a number on how many Amazing, amazing. Way more, way more than I anticipated when I when I looked at it. You, originally, my thought was just some sort of architecture or, you know, if they're going to last even as they say 4000 years, you know, that's architecture that lasted 4000 years. And if, you know, our cities today, you know, we all evaporated, our crappy buildings are probably going to be gone, <laughs> you know, who knows when they're just going to be in dust. But obviously, whoever built them built them to last, and they're all built on mathematical principles, mathematical constants. Um, they're linked to the stars, which is also mind blowing. And you talk about that, I think, in Earth Grids as well. On a big, you know, overall picture. So if we're kind of suspending our disbelief here, and I'm, I'm kind of wrapping my my head around all of this stuff, too. Um, do you have any theory on, you know, was it an ancient advanced civilization? Was it ETs? Was it humans that went back in time? Some people say that. But the one thing for me that is very clear is that there was a highly sophisticated, intelligent civilization or one human being maybe that had superpowers like X-Men. I don't know. But they're building sites all over the planet, you know, that that predate any history that we have before here. And you know, just basic common sense is that evolution happens linearly. You know, we go through, um, you know, 1600s to the 1700s, 18 industrial revolution, you know, the internet technology, we go up, it doesn't go backwards and we can't build this stuff now even close. So for, for everything that you've looked at, you know, do you have any kind of theories of putting this together? Because I'm sure you spend some time rubbing shoulders with people who have done a lot of research like actual archaeologists geologists you know physicists and that's how you start to know and formulate you know a thought of how this could have been possible and 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 what that might mean yeah no for sure no this um these sites around the world i mean you, you saw egypt i mean you, you know what's you know what's going on there um the, the sophistication is so remarkable and, and the Moving these obelisks, I mean, just as an example, 150 ton pieces of granite, and they're carving one of the hardest stones in the world, which is like 55% quartz, which is like really hard crystal. You just have, it's just unbelievable. But then you go to Peru, and it's the same thing there. They've got the same polygonal, cyclopean, puffy pillow like stonework, all these protrusions on it, these little buttons, like keyboard buttons, like the computerized, huge all over these and they, 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 these stones have come from one mountain top down a valley up another mountain place there um it's just insane i mean and you can't deny the similarity between Peru and egypt for instance the the, the the peruvian stonework and the egyptian stonework is almost like the same architects the same designers and they're so abstract they're so like artistic there's a real kind of mathematical almost alien-like quality about this uh, all over the world, really, when you start looking, that you can understand why people think it's ancient aliens are making them. You really can understand that. It's so strange and so bewildering and overwhelming when you see these sites. This is what, you know, inspires me constantly. And, uh, you, and it just creates so many questions that are really hard to answer. Um, but there's, there's lots and lots of very clever people in the ancient ancient past there's lots of people who were just as smart as we were or even smarter who could work with stone 
and just understood the principles. Uh, there was probably secret techniques. Um, but again, you know, you've got you've got a question. You know, it could be something completely out of this world. It could be ancient aliens. It could be giants. It could be like you said, people going back in time. We really don't know the answer exactly how they did this. Um, especially when you start finding sites like the Beck of Tepe, which are pushing the dates much further back to like 12,000 years ago, to the time of, you know, the dreaded A word, Atlantis, even. And so you've got that going on. Um, and that's now bringing out questions about that again. Um, you know, is there a lost civilization? Is it a landmass lost in the Atlantic? I don't know. No, no evidence has been found for any landmass. But around the world, we have the kind of, uh, as Graham Hancock would call fingerprints of these ancient gods everywhere. And so you have to kind of, um, you know, take that quite seriously. And this isn't really addressed very much by academia. It's not really taken into account that, you know, they don't believe anyone could travel around the world on boats um, and, and go across the oceans. They believe everyone moved around on land, which is ridiculous, really, because um, it'd be, you know, a lot more much more hassle, you know, for starters. And there's evidence of ships built everywhere. Even at the Giza pyramids, there's like several beautiful Lebanon cedar wood ships that have been found buried right next to the Great Pyramid, which were probably seafaring ships. They've even reconstructed one in the museum next to the Great Pyramid. But in different parts of the world, this has been um, uh, proven by Thor Heriadal, um, um, who, you know, in the 60s and 70s was travelling around the world on these, like, reed boats and different types of ship that the ancients were using. So it does prove, he kind of proved it pretty much, that you could do that. So I believe whether there was an Atlantean city or, or you know, landmass, I don't know. But there was certainly a high level and shared knowledge base uh, that the ancients shared, probably going back to the time of Quebec and Tepe 12,000 years ago. Wow, man, that's super fascinating. Um, shoot, well, for me, like, uh, do you have, because all of the sites are ridiculous, and I like your theory of, you know, you, you're looking at the earth grids and where they are, and they're lining up, and you look at the ley lines, and there's water underneath, and and, and we had electricians and engineers there talking about how these can potentially generate energy. Um, I think that will would make sense if it was some sort of the way that i'm kind of imagining is, is some sort of energetic system when i watched michael tellinger speak he didn't he came on my podcast a few ago and um he didn't really talk about it but you know if you look at all the sacred sites not all of them but some of them and you put a computer chip beside it then it looks the exact same like they have the same formation and so if we're looking at energetics and frequencies and power you know it makes sense that there's a possibility that there could be some sort of large scale power grid. And if so, um, you know, what was I looking at recently? I can't remember. Oh, it was Dan Winter, who is a physicist mentored by Buckminster Fuller. Yeah, you're fully aware. And he's always talking about how, you know, it's a charge implosion where you take your aura through death. And these could have been, you know, um, sites where they assisted to shoot into the sun to go into the galaxies, but you kind of go into your plasma ball or into your chi body. And, you know, Dan Winter is a ridiculously brilliant, you know, human being. And so that theory makes sense to me. It's, it's possible. Um, my, my thought right now is some sort of planetary energetic device 
because they're all in these specific locations that that harness energy and with the possible ability to either create a field around the planet harness energy from the planet or within each individual sacred site an ability to activate the human or help them you know if if they are adept and this has kind of been my background is going deep into meditation and you know consciousness and exploring the mind and what's capable well sometimes i'll have an experience which Dan Winter calls a bliss experience, which I've called the Kundalini awakening or a holy shit moment. What the f was that? And it explodes your brain. So if you could control that energy into a direction, then the, all of these things are possible to me. So with having them all on on these specific lines, what's what's your thought on that kind of idea? Yeah, no, I, th I think these were. I mean, you went in the Great Pyramid, right? I mean, on the recent trips, you know. When you go in there and uh it's like a machine it's like it's not really like a temple it's like some kind of device that's being used for a specific purpose and in each of uh well at least the, uh at least the king's chamber in that one and other ones in the other pyramids there's a sarcophagus which the human would probably lie in now, whether they began the process and got everything charged up with their energy, like their meditation or their kind of intention or whatever, whether they were there to receive something is a big question mark. They could have been the trigger point. They could have been the ones that actually got things moving. And that's expanded that energy through the pyramid and around the world, through the ley lines and all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I, get, I see your point here because one of the things that, uh, some good research has been done by John Burke and Kaj Helberg in their book Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty. Also Christopher Dunn in the Giza Power Plant and various other people like Philip Callahan and, uh, and other researchers who realise that these ancient sites do harness the natural earth energies and the electric charge of underground water and, um, and cosmic energies as well. And they kind of bring the energy in and they do things with it. But so if you place your seeds there in a specific spot, it will charge them up. So when you go and plant them, you'll get a high yield and a better quality crop. This has been proven over and over again at almost every sacred site they tested. Um, and so you've got to think, well, hang on a sec. If it's doing that to the seeds, surely it's going to be doing that to humans as well or whoever or whatever goes into that space, the sacred space. Um, and and so I believe it would it would there was like a, an, an ancient quest for not only you know higher levels of consciousness, but for immortality, for like continuing life somehow. And so this is uh, it's certainly the case, I believe, with these pyramids and ancient sites. And so yeah, I get a sense of what you're saying might be correct. I think there's much more to it than people realise. There's much more to it that we've lost. We don't sort of think like that anymore. We're not that kind of mindset where sacred and the scientific were one and the same thing we've kind of separated and divided everything into different kind of categories which is like you know, human nature really um but yeah I, I think there's something to be discovered and i think these were partly they were built in stone because they were like gifts from the ancient builders for future generations to experience and work with as well it wasn't just their generation just their uh, lifespan it was for like future generations so building in stone would maintain that but then you have to look at, you know, they chose the stone because of the qualities it may give, you know, different insulators, electric charge, uh, you've got, you know, the piezoelectric effect of crystals, and all these can have an effect on consciousness. And so, yeah, I think there's, um, 
more research needs to be done to kind of really analyze these sites and you know work out exactly what they were used for and imagine what it would be like if they were all working again and we were kind of experiencing the energies they were supposed to produce Hmm, hmm. So do you think that if they were all, let's say, turned on, that it would, um, uh, you know, maybe activate an energy field, you know, in some of the more esoteric or out there podcasts and discussions that I'm in, because I'm all about it, you know, they'll talk about the ascension of the planet and how we're raising to a higher frequency. Um, do you feel like that's something that would happen if they were turned on? Maybe just like resonating, because when we look in, you go through the Resonant Science Foundation, it has a whole module on the Ark of the Covenant as a potential energy device. And so if, if these things can actually be activated and turned on, then if it raises that vibration of the planet, how would it affect the human being and how would it affect the planet? you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's tradition in Britain and in other places around the world of what John Michel called the enchantment of the landscape. And this would be um, often through singing and harmonics and music and things like this, but it was never ending. It was like perpetual. It would never stop this, this harmony uh, through sound, vibration, through singing and things like this. And you do this at all the sacred sites. There's even a tradition in Egypt that goes way, way back that kind of talks about this. And so it could be that singing and uh, chanting and specific frequencies, human voice was used for to trigger all what, all this kind of thing. And I believe that there's, um, and it could be, you know, what this is all about, is this enchanting energy uh, that would be produced by these ancient sites in combination with the human voice were the same energies that increase fertility in, in the seeds and crops. Uh, increase uh, health and well-being in the human being, uh, an enlightened kind of state as well. Um, and I, you know, I, I certainly believe this is, um, you know, a reality. And I think people, you know, sort of they kind of laugh at this as an idea, really. But actually, I think there's something in there, especially when they found recently, in the last decade or so, that many of these ancient sites are built with archaeoacoustic properties in mind. It's like that when they build the sites. They must have, with all the tests that have recently been done, they must have had that in mind when they were constructing them to enable um, this to happen, you know, for, for you know, the, the tests that are being carried out to get any results. And so if that's the case, then they must have a high level understanding of acoustics. And this could have even been how they levitated and moved the stones. There's different, uh, there's different theories about that. Um, but anyway, that, you know, I think I think what you're saying is correct. That they, you know, when you have um, a whole culture all on the same page, wanting to maintain enchantment, with good vibes, and kind of higher level of consciousness across their culture, then why not? You know, what, what, what's stopping us from doing it now, apart from you know modern, you know, the modern culture? Hmm. Yeah. Excellent, man. It's we're I think we're definitely in interesting times because, you know, we have access to information that we didn't have before. You know, there's podcasts like you and back in the day, you might write write a book about it, but oh, maybe only a handful of people would see it um, and it doesn't get out there. But now really the the information is starting to 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 disperse. And if you look into it and if you actually start researching it rather than brushing it off, you know, you're going to come to some problems and some research and you'll look at a few options and one of them will make more sense. Uh, but usually the official story is is not adequate 
and makes no sense. So uh, we need people like you and Nassim and and explorers going out there, kind of um, unearthing these things. And for you, how many sites do you know of that aren't aren't allowed to be excavated? I, I know that even the Giza Plateau is is only partially excavated so we could find out you know if we wanted to know about our origins on the planet who we are we talk about sometimes the missing link in the ape theory and you know if you look at uh, gerald clark's work and a lot of the other stuff it's the anki and enlil story of the anunnaki you know um, genetically modifying humans and you know if there is weight to that which there is a lot of research and a lot of uh you know, very smart people with compelling arguments and research around that, we could we could discover whether this was true or not, or at least more about our lineage, just like you say with the giants, if we could study those and the and the elongated skulls and all that kind of stuff. So are there specific sites around the world that you would love to see um, researched and, and studied and then, you know, put out to the public and, you know, given to institutes that wanted to share the information? Yeah, I think Egypt um, needs to be a bit more transparent and open with uh, what's going on there. There's, there's so much going on just on the Giza Plateau, which is not being unearthed, not being allowed to, to dig up. Um, like I think, again, Gebekli Tepe, only like 5% of the site has been uncovered. Um, and so what's going on there is really like the smoking gun of all of this, really, because it pushes the dates back and it potentially questions of dating all other sites on the planet, um, which is an important, you know, an important, you know, part of history that we're actually kind of going, well, hang on a sec, if this site is this technical and this sophisticated at this distant age, then what, why aren't these other sites this old as well? So you have to kind of question that. I think about the Tepe is like the smoking gun. There has to be more excavation done there. Where, where um, is that? I'm, I'm, I haven't heard of that one. You're what is it? What is it I'm called? Sorry, it's called Gebekli Tepe. It's in southeast Turkey in ancient Anatolia, and it's near a town called Sandy Erfa. Uh, so it's almost on the um, Syrian border. Um, so it's not exactly the most um, popular place to visit at the moment. But um, we've, we've been there a few times in 2013 until 2015. I took, I took about three or four visits there with, with uh, my colleague uh, and researcher friend Andrew Collins. And um, also went there with Graham Hancock at one of the visits, actually, uh, the first uh, first visit. And it's, it's a remarkable place because it shouldn't be there. There's nothing really. And there's a few other sites that are kind of maybe 8,000 years old or 7,000 years old. They're kind of interesting. There's a place called Navali Churi and a couple of other sites. But this one is just, it's just outrageous. The precision, it's like you have these huge T-shaped pillars you know, they're like 22 feet tall, the largest being 24 feet, which is still in the quarry, hasn't even been put in place yet. They've got beautiful 3D carvings on them. Some of them are in, you know, really perfect 3D. It's like this sort of animal running down the side of this thin pillar. And and there's no way anyone should have been doing that 12,000 years ago. And they were, and, you know, she made a big bit of, of sandstone, or limestone, sorry. And they would carve it away and leave these amazing shapes. And then you have these abstract human forms on these pillars, with the heads with no faces, and they're just like rectangles with these weird alien arms coming down, touching the navel, and these space age belts on them as well, with like fox pelts on them, with like all these kind of strange computerized carvings. Um, 
it is just the weirdest place. And and all the statues and other artifacts they found there, all on display in the museum. You know, people have to go to Quebec and Tepe. It's insane. Uh, it's going to be reopened, I think, in six months when they're, they're rebuilding this beautiful roof on it to protect it from the elements. Uh, like they've done at another site not too far from there, well, 100 miles or so from there, called Chattel Hoyak, which is an 8,000-year-old site. Nowhere near as um, nowhere near as technically you know adept as this this site, and um, it, it's just rewriting the history books basically. And so it's it's a really important site, and uh, you know I, I could go on and on and on about it. It's, it's, uh, people can check out if people check out my YouTube channel. There's like five or six, maybe ten videos we've made when we were there, a couple of lectures that were done about it. Um, it's really important. It's really kind of like there's a strong connection with Egypt now. Uh, like I said, my colleague Andrew Collins has found this direct link that could bring these two cultures together. And even Egypt could have been influenced by the builders of the Bethany Tepe. Um, so yeah, more research needs to be done. But yeah, um, I think uh, my rant about the Bethany Tepe is over. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, man. I just, yeah, I could see you just warming up. That's interesting. I haven't, I haven't, I might've heard about that site, but you know, I, I haven't dived in. So I'm definitely curious to check out your videos and, and have a peek. And as you look into each element, um, you know, you just look at Peru or you just look at Egypt and then you realize there's, there's pyramids in China and then there's Turkey, Bosnia, there's these sites, all of them are just mind blowing with information in the site you know they have hieroglyphs they wouldn't have they wouldn't have made those up there was wouldn't have been accidental you know what they put on there and it's definitely you know usually not human exactly um and there's you know a lot of uh you know if you look at the sumerian tablets it talks about all this kind of stuff too um i do have a million and one questions for you but uh i know that you're a busy man you're, you're checking you're going to peru tomorrow uh yeah later this week we um uh or, or early and and towards uh, we're going to we're going to London for a few days and we go go out to Peru, but there's um yeah we do our annual uh, annual trip out there our tour we do with Brian Forrester, um and special guests we have on the tours as well we do them pretty much every year, and hopefully we're going out there with the the Resonance um, uh, Science Foundation or Academy next year as a sort of plan for that to happen which. Uh, it's very exciting, but yeah, the Peruvian stuff is just—it's just insane. I mean, there's actually weirdly you mentioned Peru that with Gebekli Tepe and Peru, some of the carvings are exactly the same. They're like identical. What you find at Gebekli Tepe, these 3D animal carvings in relief, high relief, uh, and you get the same things at sites at these sites called Silistani and Kutimbo in ancient Peru, which are these funerary towers called chupas. Um, around Lake Titicaca, which is at the origin point of the very ancient civilizations there. But officially, all these sites in Peru are only like a few hundred or only a thousand years old at the most. And yet you have identical carvings. And so suddenly it's like, hang on a sec, where's the, who actually did the dating on this site? What's going on? So more dating needs to be carried out because just even Gebekli Tepe is influencing what could be happening in Peru. It's very, very important. Hmm. And would you be on um, the side of, of of Atlantis being an actual city? Because I know you you said uh, you know that word, and and we're discovering some cities in in the sea now, right? Like I think the ocean's floors are like 001 percent discovered, 
And, you know, I've heard a few times that there could be whole civilizations down there. We really wouldn't know. We would have no idea. We, we have we have not discovered anything. So have you heard anything like that? You must have. No. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, my 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 co-author who wrote Giants, Giants on Record with me, Jim Vieira, he's like a, he's like a number one Atlantologist. He absolutely uh, is convinced that Atlantis existed. And uh, I'm not, you know, we debate this constantly kind of jokingly as well but i'm not sure if there was a landmass personally uh if anything it was like a sort of um a, a level of awareness and consciousness of a global culture which is i find more likely although there is a lot of evidence plato talked about it we've got different you know psychics and you know, different people who've got different theories that suggest there could be a landmass one idea is that it's even under antarctica um, and there's been like a global kind of um, surface slippage, if you like, like a crustal displacement, uh, which were Charles Hapgood and even Albert Einstein were, were talking about a very long time ago. Um, and so, yeah, there could well be, but it's very badly, you know, it's either under ice, it's been completely destroyed, or it never existed, you know. So there's like, you know, one of three, one of three different possibilities. But, you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter. The, the sites all around the world are still there to be witnessed and to learn from. Right. Yeah, fascinating. Um, yeah, man. Well, you know, I just wanted to thank you for coming on and um, sharing this wisdom, man. Um, I want to have you back on again after Peru and, and all that kind of stuff. I know you have a lot on your plate right now. Um, but before I let you go, um, just anything that you want to leave the listeners with, anything you'd love to dive deeper on, uh, you know, something that's important for people to know, or if they want to learn more, you can you can go on as long as you'd like, and um, just make sure people can find uh, find out where they can get a hold of you. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the most important things is check out your local sites, uh, wherever you are, you know, in the world or America or anywhere, because there's always stuff nearby. People don't realize they might take it for granted might be like an ancient mound but for all you know there could be giants buried in there you know so it's worth it's always worth checking things like that out um and like you often like ignore what's local to you and often that's the most interesting place um but yeah if people want to you know get in touch they can assume on facebook or they can get in touch through um, megalithomania.co.uk but we've got our different pages and stuff on facebook and um yeah, we just encourage people to get out and explore, really, and, um, you know, whether they're on their own or they want to join us on tours. Or, and we, we do like, you know, what the residents guys do. We, we do a big co conference every year in Glastonbury, England, which is like the cosmic town of Britain. Uh, every May, we, we do a two-day conference. We, we even get private access to Stonehenge and things like this. So if people want to kind of hang out for a few days, it's very, very good fun. And, uh, yeah be good to you know follow this up in the, in the next couple of months awesome brother awesome man well thanks again for coming on thanks for your work and sharing your wisdom and and connecting all these dots and just encouraging the exploration and and sharing your work because you know it's mind-blowing but when you get out there and you start doing the research and you start going to the spaces all you can do is offer what you're coming up with and let people come to their own conclusions and i think you're an excellent ambassador for that for opening minds and, and sharing research so thanks for what you're doing brother Thanks very much, Matt. I appreciate your kind words. Awesome, man. Well, thanks, everybody, for watching. Catch you in the next episode. Peace.
Okay, there we go. Hugh Newman in the books. Super stoked to have him on the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed that. I'm sure that you did. If you want to explore Hugh's work more, just check out megalithomania.co. UK. He's got a ton of videos, YouTube channel. He's all over the place. He's traveling. He is uh, such a, like I said, I just, I don't know. I just love his attitude. Uh, just his demeanor. He's just such a pleasant guy and really just enjoyed uh, spending some time with him in Egypt and, and excited to meet him at another sacred site. Maybe go on one of his tours because he's legit. He is intelligent. He is well-researched. He is a great ambassador and, you know, he's not taking it too seriously like he is but it's not like you gotta know this it's just like hey man like you know did you know that giants existed and you're like that's pretty far out and you know you could just be kind of sitting with him at a pub having a beer and and he's just dropping these earth paradigm shattering knowledge on you and it's pretty hard to argue with him because he's been there and he's doing it so <laughs> i don't know i just love you he's the man um so i hope that you enjoyed that if you liked the episode you know share it to your friends leave a review all that kind of fun stuff Check out our sponsors at mattbelair.com forward slash store. Sign up for the email list. I've got a lucid dreaming thing on there as well. If you go forward slash lucid dreaming, free ebook and guided meditation to help you lucid dream quickly and easily. And this helps you experience altered states so you don't take this one so seriously. Um, So that's it. Uh, Just before we jump off, I want to just send you a reminder that you are loved, that you are balanced, that you are whole, that you are perfect, that you are harmonious, that there is nothing that you need to do, be, or have to take that away. It is impossible. This is your natural state, and the mind just helps you forget that over and over and over, but that is not true. And a lot of that can come from programming, from things that are not you. So that's uh, my, my two cents. Just want you to know that you're loved that you are amazing and you can do whatever you want. Uh, just a friendly uh, PSA from the Matt Belair podcast. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. Holidays around the corner. Try not to take them too seriously. Um, get ready for 2018, you know, uh, just take it easy, take it easy and just enjoy the ride. You're going to be, you're going to be safe. You're going to be taken care of. You're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to be all right. And so, I just want to say that and uh, do your best to just be loving and compassionate as you move about your days. It's not always easy. And I think that the planet and the people are waking up and we have opportunities now like never before to experience our own creation, sovereignty, uh, love, peace, harmony within ourselves and our community. So that's uh, that's just what I'll say. And I'll close it with a little meditation, a little intention set. And uh, if you ever get stressed out, you can either just do Uh, three deep breaths you can just think about stuff you're grateful for and you reset your vibration you reset your energy and so that's it so now i'll just invite you to stop whatever you're doing and just take in a deep breath of just powerful life force energy and just imagine white gold and crystalline platinum light filling every cell and every muscle fiber of your beings filling your lungs with this energy And just setting the intention to let go of all the cares and all the worries of the day and just let it out slowly. And now taking another deep breath in through your nose and just see this white golden platinum light coming down from the universe and just pulsing through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being. And the energy from the earth coming up and supporting you with everything that you need for an abundant experience on the planet. And these energies merge and synergize in your heart and you're connected with all three permanently, always. And you can just come to this connection whenever you want with simple awareness. Just feel the power from the earth, all the oceans. Feel the power from the sun and the galaxies and the prana in the, in the 
source energy that's all around you, sustaining you, sustaining life. And as you feel how powerful you are, I want you to just imagine, just a simulation. What if you could do anything on this planet? Absolutely anything, unlimited wishes. Just like a video game, wish after wish they're granted. What would you do? What would you learn? What would you master? How would you help? What would you bring forth in your life? And I just want you to imagine all of these things flooding in, wish after wish. What would you wish for? Unlimited wishes. How would you express yourself as a human? And as these thoughts and ideas in the imagination realm comes in, as you see yourself experiencing these wishes, experiencing an unlimited life, I want you to just connect to this energy. Connect to what you'd learn. Connect to what you'd experience. Connect to where you'd be in the places on the planet. Connect to who you'd be with and the love and the energy of the expansion. Just allow these positive feelings to just vibrate through every cell and every muscle and know that they are aligned with spirit because they're coming from you and they're aligned with Mother Earth because they're coming from you and you are fully supported in every way, in all dimensions. You just have to allow this energy to pulse through you. Allow the receiving valves to open up and remove the doubt and limitation of the programming that is not real. You do deserve this. It is your divine right to experience this existence however you can imagine. That is the truth. And as you connect with the energy of these experiences, I want you to just double the feelings now. And now just triple the feeling of what these things allow, allow the emotion to just grow and grow and the feelings to grow and grow. And then just for a moment, just allow yourself to accept these feelings as a possibility and know that if you accept it as a reality, you're well on your way to creating this reality. That's all that's required of you is acceptance of this reality. And so as this energy grows and it begins to encode in your cells, just see it encode. It's a vibrational shift. That's all it is. And it's encoding this reality through every cell and every muscle and every fiber. And you just need to allow it in now. Now give thanks and gratitude saying, all right, I accept this reality. I accept I can create this. I accept that the universe and the earth is on my side. And just open up your receiving and give gratitude for already bringing it forth. Say, thank you for granting all my wishes, source. Thank you my higher self for guiding me. Thank you, Mother Earth, for all of your energy and support. And now just let this sink in. And I want you to send this energy out and these good wishes out to all the other beings on the planet and wish them the life of their dreams. Wish them everything that they could possibly imagine and just wish them the best for all beings, all life on the planet in perfect balance and cohesion. And just see yourself as this infinite being of light and love and harmony and source and multidimensional power, love power, coherent power, cooperative power, self-power, not, not over other things, but over yourself and over your domain and over your world. And now as you sit in this energy, just allow yourself to feel it and just let it merge with every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being, knowing you're a part of source, you're a part of humanity, knowing that you are entitled to whatever you can imagine, that you're perfect as you are and you always will be. So with great love and appreciation, thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.